Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A word of warning, this podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I'm joined from the States by Tambri Harris. Welcome, Tambri. Hey, Maddie. It's so good to see you. I am so happy to connect with you. We've connected before for a chat. We had a missed session, which was my fault because we are dealing with a time difference. (laughs) Those things happen. But I'm so, so excited to have you here with me. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so I just feel um, so fortunate to be able to connect with people just from all over the world, um, talking about what I have a huge heart for. I mean, this topic is something I have a huge heart for. And uh, it was about four years ago when I decided to use some of my life experiences, which we'll go into, but really try and use them to be an encourager to others who have had similar experiences. And so I actually formed, I have always, well, I say always, for like 20 years, I've been a leadership and life coach. And that's taken on different looks, whether it be if I'm working with, you know, a leader in a corporation, how how are they the best leader in their space? But I also work with people around their life. Are they living their best life? Are they, you know, are things getting in their way? So I've been doing that work for 20 years. Um, Been a spiritual director, which is kind of how you you know, work through your relationship with God as you define it. I kind of honor where each person comes from. I've been doing that work for eight to 10 years. So I really kind of decided, let me use the whole of me to reach others who have experienced trauma and abuse. And so I created an organization called Going Forward Survivors to Thrivers, because my hope is that we can all be going forward and moving into our going forward story. And, you know, we don't have to get stuck in survivor mode. We can move into thriving. And so I I created an organization that has, we do blogs twice a month to try and encourage people and give people different practices to use in their healing journey. We do daily um, Instagrams and Facebook posts to, again, try and be encouragers. Because I think so many times as survivors, we will, you know, we we can be doing really well, but 
we can, we can have the slump. And so if we can have things that kind of speak into our spirits every day, that's what we, we seek to do. And I guess the last um, piece about me is that I did end up writing a book and the book is based on, I had been speaking on this topic and as well as leading you know, one-on-one growth and retreats. And so I basically created the book to kind of combine the two and be an encourager as well as give people a process to move from kind of getting stuck in limiting beliefs and just surviving to thriving. So I use my story, but I also use my background um, as, again, coach and spiritual director and got my master's in psychology. So I've woven all that in to try and really be um, a support in that way as well um, through if somebody wants to just do the work kind of from their home on their own timeframe. That is so incredible. And I love that one thing that you just said as well, specifically the limiting beliefs, like looping in some actual tangible things into discussions. And, you know, there's things like that where you can see a Facebook post about limiting beliefs And you don't think that, you know, sometimes you never know what you're going to scroll past, but something Mm -hmm. like that really can get you thinking about, hang on, I think I'm getting in my way a little bit here. (laughs) And I think I did for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) But it's so incredible. Um, Like, I think it's just truly inspiring. Do you, what do you do? You're in the States. um, You do all of this work. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself outside of the organization and outside of work? What does life look like for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I live in North Carolina, which is on the east side of the States. And I, um, we have these really nice kind of balanced seasons. So I really like living here and it's not take, doesn't take too long to get to the mountains or too long to get to the ocean. So um, love being out in nature and experiencing all of that um, on a, on a beautiful day. I would just love to go hiking somewhere and I love being by water. Water just really feeds my spirit. And so I find opportunities to do that. I, um, Again, I'll share some of my heart. The hard part, uh, I I feel like I'm in such a beautiful period of my life. Um, I have found, having done my work, I have um, found an incredibly loving relationship. And I just feel so fortunate to find someone who can just feed into my spirit and likewise and just have fun together. So um, we kind of met around, we love live music. And so now that, you know, some of the, um, and in the States, they're starting to lift some of the restrictions. And so we can go out and actually listen to live music again, which is just so much fun. Um, I have a 22-year-old daughter who is in um, school in a nursing program. So encouraging her down that path. And then I have two stepsons um, who are, so I've got a 23, a 20, 22, and 20-year-old. So we got, um, you know, three kind of growing adults who are, a lot of times off doing their own thing, but then, you know, we'll come back and we'll enjoy time together. I guess the last thing, the other member of my family is I have this little new furball of a puppy dog um, named Bella. So we're enjoying having Bella kind of bring some, some interest into our lives. And it's kind of like mine and Randy's, our first baby together. You know what I'm saying? Because we have these grown adult pe- people that we, you know, try and parent, but this is just something that's kind of fun to see how we, how we interact with this. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love it so much. Yeah. I'm just imagining this little tiny fur baby. Mine's asleep oh. in the corner. <laughs> well, she she 
will always hear something and then bark. And so she's actually in her timeout space right now. So she won't interrupt <laughs> us, <laughs> but she does love to be in the mix. <laughs> Things happen. I think that they just want to be heard themselves, which for me oh. is okay. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. But that's, it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful to hear that you're in this space and you've got this, you know, beautiful blended family and this incredible, you know, you can just tell by talking to you that you're exuding, you know, strength and, and light and happiness. And, and I think it's an incredible thing when you speak to somebody like that, that is in a genuinely good place and they're not just being happy to sell something. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of genuinely in their soul feeling great. Um, but I know that life hasn't always been like this for you. We're here to talk about some of your experiences that have led you through to becoming um, and focusing your business on on trauma and focusing the organization that you started and your book and everything. Do you mm-hmm. mind telling us a little bit about where this for you and your life started um, mm-hmm. your trauma journey? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned um, the, the resonance for you around limiting beliefs. And I think that so many times our limiting beliefs can start at the earliest of ages and mine did. And I did not realize until later some of the underlying things that created them. But, you know, what's what's really kind of, um, when I think about my family's story, it starts before my parents were even married because my, um, my father was 22 in um, the Navy in Afghanistan and he's U.S., but he was uh, posted in Afghanistan. Both his parents were killed in a, drunk driving automobile accident. And so you've got, you know, this 22 year old trying to get back to the States to get, um, you know, get home for one parent was died on impact. The other one was still, you know, kind of on support. My mother and he had been dating were kind of sort of engaged. So she's by the bedside while he's trying to get there and she dies before he arrives so then my parents are thrust into, well, I guess we're going to get married so that mom can take care of the, his family stuff because he gets shipped back out. So you've got this like kind of foundation of, of trauma and reaction and just doing what you got to do. And so that's kind of the family I was brought into. And when I was um, four years old, even before then, my, my mom's brothers were dealing with um, cancer treatments and, and trying to battle cancer, and they ended up dying in their 30s. And then you've got um, my cousin who battled cancer for years and then got in a freak car accident at 16. So all of the relevance of that is that, you know, I've got these belief systems being created as this little person. And so, you know, one of them was everybody, well, you don't, you don't, process anything. You just move on because the next hardship's happening perhaps in the next six months. And so you just keep plugging along. You don't talk about how you're doing. You don't, you know, really even acknowledge for yourself any kind of grief. You just keep going. And so this little person um, is, to be honest, probably being fairly ignored because everybody's just dealing with their own worries. So I started creating this limiting belief that I am not worthy. I am not worthy of attention. I am not worthy of being heard. I was a um, somewhat of a quiet child. And I don't know if that was nature or nurture, but I was quiet. And I um, 
And the way I gained attention was by striving to achieve. So I'm going to get all the good grades. I'm going to, you know, do my best to be the good girl. And and that's kind of how I, I learned to navigate the world. And I also had this incredibly tender spirit. I don't have many memories, but I have a memory of, of being on a playground with this um, little boy who was first grade and he had a wig. And I think he had a wig because he must've been going through chemo or something, but all the kids like were taking this wig and throwing it around the playground. And I'm just sitting there thinking, where are the adults? You know, what's going on and scared to intervene because I didn't want them to, I didn't want them to come after me, but my heart hurting. So I just know I've always had that, you know, really tender, sweet, space for others pain and hurt and that kind of thing so anyway I I mentioned the striving so I kept you know striving and you know went off to college and when I was in college I started dating people and um, another part of the limiting belief of I am not worthy is that you I often thought well I'm not worthy of being treated well so I accepted bad behavior from the people that I dated. I'd excuse things away. And this one person who seemed bigger than life, he was, um, he had played, you know, football for, the, for a university and, you know, was kind of big man on campus. He we didn't go to the same university, but still I knew this about him. And he had been in the Marines and the military police. So he was like this big bravado kind of person. And that at the time was attractive to me. Um, so I married, so I, so we got engaged and my family, um, they didn't believe that you could, um, you couldn't live together. You had to be married if you were going to live together. And so that kind of forced us into marriage much earlier than we should have, um, because I was going to a doctoral program. And so, and that's like at least a five or six year commitment, six or seven year commitment. So anyway, go there. And like I mentioned, I've been explaining way bad behavior. Get to the, um, it's on the honeymoon and the abuse starts. He, I mean, I can do nothing right. Everything I do is wrong. And I start getting, you know, hemmed in every, I mean, you just, when you get yelled at about everything, you just are afraid to move or do anything. And so, I mean, I'm crying on, you know, my honeymoon about what have I done? Um, we end up in um, Houston, Texas, and so that's about, you know, 16 hours away from home. So I'm, I'm kind of really, really on my own at this point. And the other thing that started happening was um, I, uh, I was in, okay, so I'm in a doctoral program. He had gone back to finish his undergraduate studies. I'm getting paid. He's not. I'm on a first-name basis with professors. He's not. So the, the power dynamic, I, I have more power than he does. And for the kind of man that I just described he was, that did not go over well. And so when we got back home, he would assert his power over me. And I, I felt trapped. I didn't feel like I could tell anyone. I felt so ashamed that, you know, I married this person. So I, I certainly I just could not see myself being divorced, but I, and so every month I would celebrate the fact that I survived. It was that bad. And, and I know that you um, talk about the fact that you have, have trigger warnings on your, your show. So I'll say the fact that, you know, when somebody treats you this way, 
you really, you don't feel love toward them. So the last thing you want is to be intimate with them. So he would force himself on me and I would just, I would learn just to go away. I would just basically leave my body and go away and, and just wait and hope it, you know, be over soon enough and then try and make myself as small as possible to get away from him afterwards. So that was, I mean, and I'm getting the intensity of a doctoral program. So it really wore on me mentally, physically, emotionally. So one day I was driving, um, I had, I had a girlfriend who I confided in that this was happening. And so she was kind of my escape place. So I'm driving down the road to get to her and, um, there's this tree lined road. And I'm thinking if I just keep going, it'll all be over. You know, I won't have to deal with this anymore. And, but then I, I do have, I've always had kind of a faith. And so I thought, you know what, although there's this whole, you know, religious thing about not getting divorced, I thought, you know, God would rather have me divorced than deceased. And that was a light, you know, light bulb for me. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to turn this thing around. I'm not going to do this. And so after six months, made it through that semester of school and then came back home. And when I got home, all of a sudden, it's like, I have a support system again. You know, I can regain my health. And so I started building back. And so I did, I did divorce him. He, um, he tried to do some things to, to prevent that, but luckily I was able to, to give away. And um, the unfortunate thing is that I basically just hit the restart button and started the same patterns again. So, you know, I get back into it. If this is a master's program, I get back into a new program. I start achieving again and, and, and that kind of thing. And I don't really look at what was it that led me into this unhealthy relationship. So a few years later, I end up meeting someone who's not as bad. I still excuse behavior. I end up marrying him and we have a child together. So now I have brought another person into this pattern, this unhealthy pattern. So I'm doing my best to, um, to raise her and buffer her from the verbal, you know, emotional abuse stuff and the anger stuff that comes up. And I'm also working, you know, in um, corporate job at the time. So then, because when uh, we talked earlier, we said, okay, where does the story start? Well, this is the next, this is where the light comes on in my story. Um, I'm in the corporate workshop and it was on energy and they were teaching us the impact of positive and negative energy. And they did a demonstration and I knew the person who kind of walked forward to be the volunteer in the demonstration. And as I was watching this happen, I had a panic attack. I had never had a panic attack before. And so I'm just sitting there and, and I don't know if everybody knows what that means exactly, but I mean, my chest is like tight. I can barely breathe. My head is just spinning. I want to jump out of my chair, but I'm in my corporate world, right? I've got to keep it together. And so I'm sitting here scanning the room thinking, okay, who's the safest person that I can grab at the next break? So I do. And, you know, she, I grabbed the right person. 
because she she listened and she said, you know, I've kind of had something like that happen to me as well. And so she encouraged me to to go get therapy. And um, and so the good news is, is that I listened. I had other wake up calls beforehand, but this one I listened to. My body finally kind of tried to grab my attention back in Houston. I didn't listen. It grabbed my attention this time. So I started doing the healing work and, um, you know, different people have different experiences, but a lot of us, there are layers to go through. So you start with the easy stuff and you work through some of the obvious, oh, okay, my grandparents were killed in an automobile accident. My parents have been struggling, you know, ever since I came into this world. Um, So work on all that keep digging. And I believe that when your mind and body are ready, sometimes things that have been suppressed will come up. What came up for me was that I was a a victim of childhood sexual abuse. So you think about that little girl who everybody around her were distracted by all the deaths all the, you know, swirl that they were dealing with, well, that gives a predator easy opportunity to come in. Um, This person groomed me. And so, you know, struggling with the the what is love and not trusting kindness. Um, And then the, the sense, and again, so all the unworthiness stuff is starting to make sense because, you know, I'm here, I am this little person and nobody's coming to help me. Nobody's even noticing. And so I believe that fed that I'm not worthy of being seen. Yeah. Not to mention that I'm quite sure because I've got certain messages in my head that I was told to be quiet. So my, my, my voice was taken away early. And, and so all of these things are um, starting to show themselves and it, it's making so much more sense as to why I was behaving the way I was, why I was always trying to prove my worth because I always felt. So anyway, I started doing that healing work. And, and this is another interesting thing. When that happened, my daughter, Katie, was four or five. That was around the age I was when I was sexually abused. And so I almost felt like I needed to do the healing for my internal little girl to be able to be that whole grounded person for my, my child, my little girl, my daughter. So I started getting stronger. You know, I started, I had a women's group I was a part of and, and that was really important as well because they kind of could hold space when things were coming up for me. I had a safe space to shake, to say them because I mean, as you know, this topic, I mean, there's so much shame and silencing around it. And so as you're coming, it's like, can I even speak this? Can, 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 and will anybody believe me? Because the other thing that happens is, I mean, again, this is coming out when I'm in my 30s. So I mean, it's like, well, where has that all been? Why haven't you been talking about it? Well, I repressed it because it was too much for me until I was ready to deal with it. So I started getting stronger, um, feeling more, more grounded. I have, and this is not a surprise, we, we all probably have more people than we realize who have experienced sexual abuse um, and other kinds of abuse. But I had a cousin who had experienced a variety of types of abuse. And um, my family had been, we've been supporting him for a while, but. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We found out he was in New York City getting ready to jump off a bridge. And so we literally are like on the phone with him, trying to get him calm down, get him to a subway, get him to the airplane, get him back home so that we can then envelop him and get him taken care of. So this was like a week of intense trauma trying to deal with this. And I was going to have surgery the next day. Well, my narcissistic husband um, decides to choose that night, just came home from all that, getting ready to go into surgery next day to tell me he's not happy. And I'm thinking, I'm not real happy either right now. <laughs> you know? And he had been having an affair. I didn't know about it. Um, and he basically left me during my, my recuperation from my shoulder surgery, which if anybody's had it, it's intense. Um, you're like, you can't even move your arm for weeks and icing. It's, it's a mess. And so opening myself up to the love, being vulnerable and opening myself up to the love of others. And I had people tell me that they thought that I had gotten too strong for him, that I had begun to become a really, you know, grounded, again, beginning to see my work. And so anyways, it was a tough year. He left my daughter and me. He just didn't have a relationship with her either. And so I've got a very angry 12 year old and I had to take the brunt of that. But we navigated, I mentioned she's 22 now. So we have navigated those years. Um, after continuing to kind of do my healing work from the, the divorce and the, the trail around that, 
I was then able to open my kind of full self, my healed self into relationships. And I ended up finding this wonderful person that is now in my life that I don't know that I would have accepted his love before I did my healing work because I kept pushing goodness away because I didn't trust it. And so I think that's part of my hope for so many people is that they do their healing work so that they will be ready and and um, inviting of the true love. They deserve the true life, the whole living their whole self kind of a life. And so I know there's a lot of different things we can dig in on with each of those things. Um, I guess the one thing that I did want to mention, um, a connect point for me that, again, might be helpful for others to hear, is that um, when I mentioned the thing about going with my first husband, going through the difficulty of being in relationship with him and him, you know, forcing himself on me. One of the things that it took me years to finally name the fact that that truly was marital rape. I mean, you just... I, I people explain it away, but I think it's important to know that just because you're in a part intimate partner relationship, that does not mean they can do whatever they want to do. And so that was important for me to claim. The other thing that I realized was that my ability to just kind of go away and leave my body at that time was a learned behavior from way back when. And so back to all of these things, it's like, and I, I just they feel like that's so important to think about the, the criticality of truly healing ourselves so that we can um, see the patterns and see kind of how much more beautiful life can be and we don't need to tolerate. So Absolutely. I'll pause there. No, I think it's, it's, it's incredible. And the way that you tell your story, I think, is showing people the impacts of ongoing abuse. And I think what I really took from what you were saying was it sounded like you were, you're navigating this world from the very beginning as somebody whose complete life is dependent on how other people perceive you and your kind of self-worth is so is so caught up in what other people think and what other people need and what other people do. And I think that's what I'm getting from you when you're talking about your life now, this real sense of agency and that this is my life now. And you can kind of see those two different perspectives that you're living under somebody's, you know, rule almost, you know, I'll just do this. I'll just do that. I'll, I'll be compliant. And, you know, complying is not the same as sex, you know, complying is not consent. Um, dissociating and freezing is not consent. And I don't care whether you've been on one date, whether you've been abducted or whether you've been married for 25 years, that doesn't change the fact that that is not consent and that is sexual assault. And I agree with you. And sadly, you know, in Australia, I think it was only in the 80s that that was ruled to be, 80s or 90s, that that was made illegal. That was something that... 14% of the population currently still believes is okay. And that is important for you to say that because there will be people listening now that might be thinking, sometimes my partner just says, please, or, you know, begs me or tries to, and coercing somebody doesn't have to be with a knife. 
you know, right. or with a gun at their head. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes we've got this perception that it has to be violent. It doesn't. You know, being guilted into something isn't consent. Being made to feel like you don't have a choice isn't consent. Having a sit down with somebody and and they're kind of saying, if you do this, I will, that's mm-hmm. not consent. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not enthusiastic about that. And that we've, I feel like a lot of people who I know as well who are in these marriages feel an obligation to meet some kind of threshold of sex per per week, per month or something like that as well. And if you're not doing that, then somehow you're not meeting the requirements of a relationship. So I think you've got all of what you've said as well, but you've also got the societal expectations and norms as well. Absolutely. And coming back as well, one thing I wanted to ask was during that time in your second relationship while you've got your child and you started to do your healing, you said you kind of almost started to outgrow this. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see that as evolve as you're going through your story. Cause yeah. it's kind of like Tambri's coming to the forefront here. She's taking yeah. over. She's a bad bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> With your partner, like you said that there was some behaviors that you you excused at the beginning before you mm-hmm. got married and that there was verbal abuse and things like that. What was the dynamic like for you in that relationship and household as you were navigating a healing journey and mm-hmm. starting to find yourself? And what was the home life like? Did that start to change? Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever asked me that question. <laughs> I think I showed up differently. I showed up less reactive I probably walked away more it's it's kind of like it's just not worth it and I, I, was, I invested in me I continue to invest in me so the, the importance of like this women's group where I can go and I can grow myself and I can have a support system um, so I think I was you know kind of even unconsciously building up that that grounding that I was going to need in, in the long run. And you also, when you have a child, you also think about, you know, what am I modeling? You know, how am I showing up? And, but at the same time, you know, there were, there were survival moments when, I mean, I'm, just, I'm trying to think how old she was, maybe two or three years old, but just, you know, I mean, he, he would threaten harm to, to both of us, you know, and to your point, there was never a gun, there was never a knife, but, but the verbal and the, the, um, the energy is just can be overwhelming. And I can remember holding her and rocking her on, on the steps thinking, you know, what am I going to do? Can I, you know, what's, what's the right thing for me to do? And, and I guess I just kept thinking that, you know, if I can just get her through grade school, then I can leave. And, you know, we, I think, you know, back to societal messages, I think sometimes one of the societal messages is that, you know, it's better to have a, an unbroken home, even if it's unhealthy. And, you know, when he left, he did not give me a choice, but I ended up being incredibly grateful because she was able to have a healthy home. I could, I could manage, I could navigate. And, and she, you know, now sees my relationship with my husband, Randy, and, and she sees that's what love looks like that's what mutual respect looks like and so I guess that would be something that you know I might offer is that you know it was as hard as it was for him to leave when he left and how he left 
it was gift in the end because it ended up allowing me to have more, I love your word agency. It allowed me to have more agency around how I, how I mothered, how I showed up for my, for my daughter. So um, I think the, and this was really cool. And this is something that if, um, you know, back to my encouragement for women to have support systems around them. One of the beautiful things that this group that I was a part of, um, they would reflect to me the growth they were seeing. So sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to, to see it, but they're like, oh my gosh, you know, how much you've grown over the past, you know, four or five years and now 20 years. It's um, for them to reflect that back was just so helpful. You know, another thing that you said, and I think this is, well, this is more after, um, but one of the things that I saw in myself shifting was I have a very strong doing part of me, my striver person. And, and that taps into the, okay, I'm not worthy. And so therefore I have to, my thoughts are, I must prove myself. So then I start all these doing kind of behaviors, you know, overworking, being a perfectionist, getting the degrees, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I love doing is, is looking at you know, that limiting belief and saying, okay, what if you flipped it and you claim the opposite? So what would it look like for me to claim I am worthy? Well, gosh, then I can just show up. I can just be my authentic self. And that is, and so I'm shifting from my, all my doing mentality to my just being mentality. And of course I have to do everything in my life, but it's a whole different mode or way of being. And so um, that's been something that had started to grow in me. And it's just, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just really opened itself up to truly living my authentic. I think I love to want to out there, but the energy you get by being authentic. It's just amazing. Absolutely. And it comes back to to seeing yourself through not somebody else's eyes, but through your own. And I really relate to what you just said as well, because I think I do the same thing and I have done it for a very long time and I'm getting a lot better now at taking days off and really taking time for me. Because I think when you've got trauma and you're navigating these things and a coping mechanism in many ways is to not think about it. And the way, the best way to not think about it and the best way to not deal with it is to be busy. And, you know, it comes down to people understanding addiction and things like that as well, because what do you do when you're not busy and you've got something on your mind and yet there's a thing, some people will pick up, you know, drinking or drugs or overeating or really unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I think, for a lot of people, when you say coping mechanism, that's not specifically, you know, somebody sitting in a corner, rocking back and forth, crying. It can be somebody that presents as very okay, well, and put together, but they're doing these things to avoid feeling and thinking what they have to and need to go through. And I think that for you and I has looked the same where we're overachieving in many ways. And I think that comes back to another thing that is something I'm not sure if you've had an experience with this or if anybody's spoken to you about this, but I think a lot of people, when they perceive domestic abuse, they believe that these people are not well-educated people or somehow less than that. And I think for yourself, you know, you were in a doctoral program. Obviously, you're a very intelligent woman. You've been working in, you know, huge corporations and you've, you're very, very well-educated and 
I think that's a really, was that something that you have found to be a statement that people have made or something that you've found interesting navigating yourself in any way? Gosh, there's just several things um, that you just said there. One, I, um, I think a lot of it, you know, the, the projection of, of I've got it all together and, and there's so many people that would say, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. Um, it's like, well, I had pretty good. <laughs> I had pretty good, you know, um, not facade. My uh, husband hates when I say facade because I'm always a pretty real person. But I, but I have all those pieces of me that I would put out. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's interesting because I think that there is probably, well, so when I said that I went, got into, you know, I'm in Houston and like I said, I'm in a doctoral program and it, 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 there's, there's almost some shame around, I should have been smarter than this. How could I, but it's a different, it's, um, it's, it, it's comes, it comes from a woundedness. You fall into these unhealthy relationships from a woundedness. It's not because you're not smart. It's because it's feeling something again, both my ex-husbands um, had a lot of, you know, um, characteristics that were very appealing. And so for me, it was, oh, I feel so lucky to have been chosen. And so back to seeing the external validation you're talking about. So I was feeling externally validated and that was attractive to me versus me just saying, I don't need that. I know what I am and I've got this. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think, and, and I, sadly, I, know a lot of people who have, you know, law degrees, PhDs, and they running large portions of businesses who find themselves in abusive marriages. And, and so any of you out there that, yeah, I think have any kind of thought around, you know, I'm, I'm, I must be stupid for him, you know, having been involved. It, it, it will, it hits so many different people. Yeah, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's an education demarcation. I don't think there's a socioeconomic demarcation. I don't think there's a, a race or cultural demarcation. It, it happens across the board. And, and I think that's why it's so important to have conversations like this so people can say, you know, this isn't okay. And my hope would be it would be in a dating relationship. You know, I would, I would hope that um, I sometimes speak to universities and I, I you know, I, I think, oh, I wish my college self could have heard some of this so that when I'm being treated poorly, I might have, it might have clicked in my head. Well, why am I feeling this unworthiness and why am I tolerating this bad behavior? So, yeah, it's, I just think it's so important to really shine the light on both you know, the sexual abuse aspects and just the domestic violence. And to your point, we're not talking just physical. I mean, the others actually, sometimes I I feel like, you know, if if I'd had a black eye, maybe I would have left sooner because then I couldn't have hidden it from everybody. But when the scars are internal, you know, you can kind of hide them, but they take even longer to heal. And so I just don't think we should minimize any of this. And, and again, having people, I had a friend read my book and she said, you know, Tambri, I think that there's going to be a lot of women who just, their eyes get open and they say, I'm not tolerating this anymore. And that wasn't necessarily my intention. My intention was to have you hear my voice and encourage your healing. But 
if it gets you out of, if you start seeing your story in mine and you're like, I don't need to be tolerated this, then good. You know, I just, I really want people to step into, you know, that really positive story that they deserve. A hundred percent. And I think you really hit the nail on the head. Like domestic abuse does not discriminate. It projects through all different um, socioeconomic factors as well. Additionally too, and I, I wanted to raise that specifically because I know that there are, especially with, I think the, the older generation, there is this perception that almost women in domestic abuse must be stupid or something, you know? And I think that that comes back to, <laughs> I was saying this the other week to a friend as well. You must have a very low opinion of women if you think it's just as easy as leaving. And I mean that because it's such a simple solution. And if you think that we're not capable of coming up with that as an option, then you mustn't have much respect for that. You know, there's so many different factors. Thank you so much, Tambri. We're going to finish up part one of our conversation here, but please join us back next week for part two with this wonderful, wonderful woman, Tambri Harris. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.